if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 23, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you will remember that it had been a week prior to Passover when Jesus now makes his way up to Bethany. And you'll remember that he was at the meal, house of Simon the leper. What an amazing story that had to have been of the healing of Simon. And we see that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are also at this meal. And, and you remember that Mary now takes and breaks the bottle of spikenard and anoints Jesus. And, and then she dries his feet with her hair. And, and you'll remember that Judas and the others, they complained about the fact that this is such an extravagant gift. And, and you remember that John says that Judas, he complained about it because he was stealing money from the ministry, from Jesus's ministry. And, and so he saw an opportunity to line his pockets even deeper. But Jesus defends Mary. And, and then he says that what she's done, she's done for my burial. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that within a week's time that he is going to offer himself uh, up on that cross. And, and so we see here that Jesus is beginning to, to declare these things. And, and you remember that uh, afterwards that there is the plot then to kill Lazarus. The, there was a tremendous difficulty that the religious leaders were having because of Jesus' popularity, but his popularity skyrocketed right there in Jerusalem after he had called Lazarus forth out of the grave, four days and dead, and he calls him forth. And, and so they, they have no problem now with just taking and subverting truth and subverting now the, the miracle that Jesus did and, and killing an innocent person in order to keep their agenda moving forwards. It shows you the hardness of the hearts, their love for their position the power that they had and that they did not want to see that go to the wayside and and their concern was that the rebellion would cause them to lose their position and so in order to save themselves they were willing to kill not only Jesus but also Lazarus and it just shows you the murderous intent now uh, of these uh, leaders we saw Jesus make his triumphal entry and and once again, John gave us a different perspective on that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke show you walking with Jesus from Bethany coming to Jerusalem. But John has you in Jerusalem and, and the word comes that Jesus is on his way. And what happens is the city empties and it, and it comes out to meet Jesus. And, and so the triumphal entry, the presentation of Jesus as the Messiah, as it was predicted in the scriptures and and we see that Jesus fulfills that but we also saw the religious leaders negating the praises of the people you will remember the synoptic gospels 
voice the complaint of the religious leaders as they tell Jesus to silence his followers. And you'll remember Jesus' response that if I told them to be quiet, even the rocks wouldn't cry out. And, and so Jesus now has entered into this last week of ministry. The stakes are high. The religious leaders are vocally opposing Jesus and seeking his destruction. And, and you'll remember that that the Greeks came and, and they wanted an audience with Jesus. Remember that at the temple that there was the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles, the outer court there, was a place where all nations, all people could come. And you could pray there and you could worship God there. So we have these Greeks and we don't have much detail about them. They approach Philip and Philip approached Andrew and they come to Jesus and they tell him, Jesus, there's some Greeks that want to see you. And, and we see that Jesus then begins to teach. This will be the last time that Jesus is going to teach publicly. From this point forwards, everything will be done with the, the disciples. We will see that the religious leaders will oppose Jesus and Jesus will respond to their uh, oppositions. But these are the last recorded words that John gives us in the gospel of Jesus ministering to the public. And so verse 23, it says, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now it's interesting because Jesus was always on the timetable of the Father. You remember when Mary comes to him at the Feast of Cana, at the wedding feast uh, there, and tells him that they are out of wine. And you remember that uh, Jesus then says, Woman, what does that to do? My hour has not yet come. And, and we see that Jesus was always aware of his hour and but here we see now that the time has come that the son of man should be glorified now jesus is speaking of his death he's speaking of his crucifixion and we see that jesus doesn't mean that he's going to be glorified in the eyes of men that had just happened at the triumphal entry, but the glorification that Jesus pointed to here was being glorified on the cross. And Jesus now expands that. He goes a little bit deeper in verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Where does Jesus go now? He is pressed to, to talk about eternal life. What is the most important issue of our day? It is not politics. It is not in COVID. It is not the division in our nation or any of the national debates that are going on. The single most important issue that there is is eternal life. This life is just a vapor. Everything in this life pales in comparison to eternal life. Your purpose for being alive is to know who created you and to enter into an eternal relationship with him with the breath that you have in this life. Now, what's the span of your life? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how long any of us uh, are going to live. And, and so the single most important issue that there is in life uh, 
is your spiritual condition. What's the health of your spiritual condition today? So oftentimes we see the focus is on our physical health. We talk to one another every day. How are you feeling today? How did you sleep last night? Are you hungry? Is there anything that you need? Can I get you something? We, we are constantly monitoring our physical conditions uh, and our emotional conditions with one another. But do we monitor our spiritual conditions with one another? How are you doing? How was your prayer time this morning? How are you and the Lord doing? How close are you feeling to him right now? Is he speaking to you recently? What's the last thing the Lord has said to you? The Bible says that we're to speak to another, one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual sayings, that we should be as, as comfortable speaking about our spiritual condition as we are speaking about our, our physical condition. To be able to wake up and to share with one another, I'm feeling a little bit oppressed today. Can you pray for me? Feeling some warfare in my life or, wow, the Lord is just blessing me and just showing me great things in the Word of God. And so we, we need to be able to, as Christians, as believers, continue to be open. Share how you and the Lord are doing on a daily basis with one another. So what does Jesus talk about? He talks about eternal life. He talks about the fact that he is that, that grain of wheat that's going to go into the ground and, and then he is going to bring forth much fruit. He's talking about the, the fruit of the resurrection and what is going to happen. He, of course, is the firstborn over the resurrection. And so the fruit that is going to follow, the multiplication of that. But he gives us the spiritual principle here in verse 25 that he who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And no doubt there were some that this was a confusing statement that Jesus is talking about. He goes on in verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now, Jesus once again is talking about being connected to him. And he is talking about following after him and not only following after him and serving him, but also the connection to the Father that is going to take place. Serving the Lord means to be doing the things that the Lord would have us to do. A servant receives his instructions uh, from the master. A servant doesn't wake up in the household and then look around and say, you know, I think I'm going to go do this today or I'm going to go do that today. The servant takes his instructions uh, from the master. As believers, we don't want to just go around being Christians. We don't want to just go around living the way that we think the Word of God tells us to. We want to be directed by the Lord. We want to be doing exactly what the Lord would have us to do. And so here we see that we have to follow the Lord. And in order to follow, then we have to be able to communicate and we have to be able to receive instruction. To get up today and to live a day where you're not sinning is not the goal of being a Christian. And so oftentimes I think that we think that as long as we're just avoiding evil, 
and that we didn't do anything bad today, that we had a good day, this was a good day. But I want you to know that God's desire is, is that he would have an intimate relationship with you whereby he can direct you. The psalmist tells us, that, and God says that I will direct you with my eye. He says that there is stubborn horse, you put a bit in, and the horse fights against that bit, and you use that bit to control the horse. He says, but God's desire is not to put a bit in your mouth and to have this striving, fighting relationship, but that you would be able to be directed by his eye. And to me, that always makes me think of when I was growing up and we would sit at the kitchen table. I came from a large family. We had eight kids in my family. And so my parents and, and all, that was 10 if there was no guests uh, at all in our house, which we always had guests in our house. But, you know, my mom, she got eight kids. Uh, and so sometimes we would start to misbehave. <laughs> I know you find that impossible to believe. You know, but uh, we would start misbehaving. And then my mom would just, she would just look at you with just that look. And, and that look told you, I would change my course of behavior right now if I were you. <laughs> she didn't have to say a word. She just looked at you. And that look uh, brought you right into line again. She was directing us just with, just with her eyes. But that came from an ability to know her face, to know her expressions, to know her eyes. It came from intimacy and relationship and communication to be able to, to direct you with just, uh, just the eyes. That's the way the Lord wants to direct you. So gently that we would be on such the same wavelength with, with God. God wants to use you. God may want to use you today, listen to this, to make a, a phone call. God sees a saint that's hurting, and the Lord looks. Who can I bring comfort to that, to that saint that is hurting? And he looks around and he says, who will respond to me? Who, who can I send? Who can I have? Just simply make a phone call. And, and God will put a person on your heart, on your mind. You're like, oh yeah, I haven't talked to them in a long time. I should call them one day. <laughs> and then we go, we, we go on and, and he puts that same person on another heart, on another heart, on another heart, on another heart. Who will make the phone call? <laughs> Who will step into action where the, where the hands and the feet uh, of the Lord? And, and, and so he gives you these impressions of, uh, of things that he would have you to do today. But we're filled oftentimes with our own agenda. I, I don't have time today to make, that, to make that phone call. And so we don't make the phone call. But the Lord will have somebody else make the phone call, and that person will get ministered to. But you missed out on being a part of what God had for you, of, of following His plan for you today. Lord, what would you have for me to do today? I've got my agenda, I've got my stuff, but feel free to interrupt me anytime and I will do what you ask of me. And so Jesus here talks about if you're going to serve me, then you have, to, you have to follow me. You can't just go do what you think is, is going to be a good thing, but do what the Lord is leading you into. And he says, and when you're doing that, he says, now you are following the will of God. Remember that Jesus was always setting that example. 
I do always do the, the will of the Father. Jesus was always seeking now underneath the direction he's teaching us, submission to this line of authority. And he says that when you are following my leading, you're following now the leading of God the Father. And so we, we see the beautiful structure that, that God sets forth. In verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I think it's amazing here that John records for us that Jesus is in emotional turmoil. My soul is troubled. Why? Jesus knows that the end of his life is coming at the end of this week. And he sees the clock is running out. And what's waiting for him at the end of the week? He is going to be arrested. He is going to be scourged. He is going to be crucified. And his soul now, his flesh is recoiling from that. And he is heavy. I wonder what it must be like to know that you have an appointment with death in five days, four days, three days, two days. To watch it coming as in a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment where you have a date and a time and you know that that's where you're supposed to be. For us, we know that death is going to come at some point in time, but, but not the day and the hour and the time in approaching that. Seeing the condition of the people, seeing the condition of the disciples, and, and then knowing the brutal way in which he is going to sacrifice his life. The Bible tells us, though, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He, he knew that he was setting us free from sin and death, and he was willing to go pay that. But, but crucifixion was the most horrible, torturous way that mankind had invented to, to execute somebody. See, Rome didn't just want you dead. They wanted you painfully dead as a lesson to every single other person of what happens to anybody who messes with the power and authority of Rome. And thus, it was not a quick, fast death it was not like beheading or being shot. Crucifixion would last sometimes for days. People would be dying on the cross for days. How many times had Jesus walked by people being crucified knowing that one day he is going to be on that cross? He lived his life in the shadow of the cross. But now, now he is within days of the crucifixion. And he says, I am heavy. This is, this is heavy. He says, but what should I do? Should I, should I ask God, I, God, take this away from me. I don't want to be crucified. He says, it's for that reason that I came. And we see a principle here that I think is important for you and for me. And that is that following the will of God is not easy. It's not easy. Sometimes we think that when we get our relationship with God right, when we're coming to church and we're worshiping, we're praying and, and we're doing, we think that, that now we open up our hands and we're like, now bless me, Lord. This should just, now life should just get good. And it does get good. But it doesn't mean that it gets easy. 
The spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. There is a contentious battle that's raging in your life and in my life every single day between the, the flesh and the and spirit. The flesh wants to just satiate itself and, and to just fulfill and gratify. We live in a culture that tells you to do that. We live in a culture that tells you that happiness means selfishness. That happiness means fulfilling yourself and doing whatever makes yourself happy. And that if you're not happy, you should change your circumstances regardless of what your commitments are or your vows. If you're not happy, don't waste time. You only go through life once and, and you deserve to be happy. Personal fulfillment, self-gratification has become the moral high ground of our culture today. But here we see... But Jesus now is talking about that submission to the will of the Father. And, and he says, this purpose, I've come to this hour. And we see him then declare, Father, glorify your name. We see the submission in the surrender, even in spite of the difficulty. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. This is the third time that the voice from heaven, the audible divine testimony to Jesus comes forth. You will remember that that is baptism. We heard the voice at his transfiguration. We heard the voice and now here shortly before the cross, we see now this affirmation. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And so it was audible, but it wasn't understood by all. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. We see that Jesus declares that, that the Father's affirmation from heaven didn't come because Jesus needed an affirmation. It came for the people that were around, especially the disciples. And, and Jesus now once again declares that now is the judgment uh, of the world. Jesus' death on the cross was a judgment uh, on the world. The world system was judged uh, by its treatment of Jesus uh, at the cross. And evil was atoned for. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, Satan is called the ruler of uh, this world. You will remember that Adam and Eve, they had the title deed to earth. And, and when they sinned, that title deed went uh, over. Now who you serve, you become their servant. And, and as that was their possession, when they stopped serving God and they listened now to Satan and they served uh, Satan, they became the servants uh, of Satan. And a servant's possessions are, are the master's possessions. And that title deed to the earth went over to Satan. Here we see that it declares that he is the ruler of this world. But now it says that he is going to be cast out. Jesus came to redeem back the title deed now that had gone into Satan's hand. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
And Jesus in verse 32 says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples unto myself. And he said this, he said, signifying by what death uh, that he would die. If I am lifted up. He's talking about being lifted up on a cross. But also, that word lifted up means to elevate in status. It, it means now to be raised in rank or honor. And Jesus says that though I will be crucified, that crucifixion, that raising me up will raise me up. I will draw all peoples to myself. Notice that he doesn't say, I will draw the Jews to myself. All peoples. Here we see that the church and the impetus of the church being made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Here in this word, I will draw all peoples to myself, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down and I have the power to pick my life back up again. Jesus willingly goes to the cross. But here we see that he is openly declaring that he is going to be crucified. He knows this and is declaring it ahead of time. Why? That you might know and I might know that he came and conquered the grave. And for this purpose uh, he came. To conquer the grave and to set loose the captives. But this confused the people. What was the big issue of the day? What was everybody trying to figure out? Who is Jesus? This was the talk of everybody. He is a, a, a mighty teacher. You'll remember that they said no one has spoken with such power and authority in their life. Can you imagine listening to Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry where every single word that he spoke is coming straight from the mouth of God? Pure, perfect truth coming forth. You see, when the rabbis would teach, they always quoted their source. They'd always say, as rabbi so-and-so has said, and, and then they would tell you. And they were always using now the authority of others. When Jesus Christ spoke, he never referenced anybody. He spoke with absolute power and perfect truth. And they've never heard anything like this before. Oh, Jesus as a teacher was unbelievable because he is God and he spoke as God and he spoke the words of life. And so people talked to him, but they were like, but he's more than just a teacher. He is doing miracles like have never been done in the history of the world. But he's more than just a miracle worker. He's a prophet and a mighty prophet. John the Baptist was the first prophet the nation had seen in over 300 years. And, and so the, the fact that Jesus is a prophet, these were the, the talks around the dinner table. These were the talks in the marketplace. And, and then others were saying, no, he is, not, he is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And so the people are gathered around to listen and to decide who is Jesus. Prophet and teacher, Messiah. But now Jesus is saying, but I'm going to be lifted up. I am going to, to go into the ground. A, a wheat kernel goes in and, and dies. And they can't understand. If he's the Messiah, 
then why is he saying that he's going to die? Why would the Messiah say that he was going to die? You see, they had the Old Testament scriptures that taught them about the Messiah. And in the Old Testament, they didn't understand Psalm 22. They didn't understand Isaiah 53. But you know what they did understand? They understood Daniel chapter 7. Daniel records, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages would serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And so, Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to have an everlasting kingdom that will never depart. So if he's the Messiah, then how can he say that he's going to die? And it confused them. Then maybe he's not the Messiah. And so maybe the Christos, the anointed one, the Mashiach, or the Messiah, maybe that's different than the Son of Man or the Son of God, the term that Jesus is using. Are these the same? Are they different? We're confused. And the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? What is evident here is that the people understood that Jesus was predicting his death. The people understood that he was predicting his death, but now they are trying to reconcile that with him being the Messiah. And then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you, and he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Walk in the light. What does that mean? It means respond to the truth that's revealed in your life. God reveals truth to you. God reveals truth to me. And there is the response of our free will to either negate that truth that is being poured out to you or to receive it and then to navigate accordingly. He says, I'm giving you light, but if you push that light aside, then you're in darkness. And then how are you going to navigate in darkness? Walk in the light. I am giving you in truth. Jesus Christ is light. He is the light of the world. And so hear the invitation to come into the kingdom, respond to truth in your life. What happens when we don't respond to truth in our life, when God reveals truth to us and we push it aside? A callousness begins to form over our heart over our mind, over our soul. God gave you a conscience. God gave me a conscience. God's given every single person a a conscience. And and that conscience is the internal voice uh, of God that tells us right from wrong. 
When you're young, you have a very sensitive mm, conscience and, and it is clean and pure and it knows right from wrong and it knows when. You remember when you were little, and if you can't, just be around little kids and how they tell on themselves when they do something wrong. <laughs> they feel bad. They just come and they tell. We learn to hide our sin later and then to deny it even when we're accused of it. But... But man, when we're young, we are, we are so open, transparent, and, and that's that conscience that shows us. But when we don't respond to truth, when we keep pushing truth aside, then we become callous to it. Jesus is going to mm, depart now from them, but... In verse 37, it says, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In spite of his miraculous signs, they still would not believe in him. Why? Because they were calloused now. We also see that this was in fulfillment of the prophecy in verse 39. Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. We see that the hardness of heart is a condition now that we have by ignoring truth and not responding to it, by empowering the flesh over the Spirit of God. And so, hardness of heart. Something we need to be careful of in our lives. And these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and mighty, and the train of his robe filled the sanctuary with glory, and the whole earth was filled with his glory. And, and Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah dies, he gets a fresh vision of the Lord. And and it is there in that when Isaiah is being sent to his people that, that God tells them that though Isaiah, though my glory is going to be shown forth, there are going to be few that are going to respond to it. And, and here we see when the Lord is here and, and even though he's done all of these miraculous works, it says that, that there were few that believed in him in this in fulfillment of what had been prophesied. Again, the Old Testament is, is two portraits of Christ. That, that is what the Old Testament is. It is the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And, and we see throughout the detail, the brushstrokes, the, the fine points, the details, and we see that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his first coming all, the entire portrait of that first coming. The second time he comes, he's coming in glory. He's coming in power. He is coming in authority. And all will see him come at his second coming. Suffering servant the first time. Conquering king the second time. Part of the confusion of the Jews is they were looking for the conquering king and they had the suffering servant before them. And they couldn't recognize the fact. They couldn't reconcile that. But here we see that Isaiah had foretold that the Messiah is not going to be greatly received. 
But nevertheless, verse 42, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. There were many that privately held that Jesus was the Messiah, but they weren't going to declare it openly because of the hostile environment. It says, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There was a consequence for following Jesus. There was a consequence to following Jesus back then. There's a consequence to following Jesus today. More and more, our culture is growing in its opposition to Christianity and to our faith. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Everybody wants to be accepted. Nobody likes that feeling of being rejected. But here there is a caution to make sure that we don't offend God in order to please man. If you have to offend God or offend man, offend man (laughs) and please God. Here they were afraid of offending man because of the consequences that it was going to, to bring upon their life. And so they wouldn't openly declare or follow Jesus, though they believed in their heart. And then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees uh, him who sent me. And these are the last words here in John's gospel from Jesus to the public. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So oftentimes I think that people feel like God is angry and that he is looking down from heaven and that he is mad at us. I want you to know that God loves us. Even those that have gone astray, even those that don't know him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God hurts for us in our infirmities. And Jesus says, I didn't come to judge you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to rescue you. I came to save you. He says judgment is going to come, but I'm not... I didn't come to judge uh, you. I came to declare truth. And that truth that I gave to you, that truth, if you don't receive that truth, that truth will judge you later. You will have to give an account for your rejection of the truth. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have spoken, listen, not on my own authority, But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. And therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. What is the command of the Father? What does God command us to to enter into eternal life? (laughs) That's God's will for your life. God created you so that he could be eternally connected to, to you and And Jesus is that vehicle of connection to remove the sin that separates us and to unite us with God. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to verse 24. 
Back to where it says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, we had already uncovered that, that this is a beautiful picture of the necessary sacrifice of, uh, of Jesus. Unless the grain of wheat is buried in the ground, uh, it, it will not become a blade of wheat that grows up and, and then produces many more grains. And the hour had come for Jesus, now like a, a grain of wheat, to die. But that buried grain would eventually bring forth much fruit. And before there can be resurrection power and faithfulness, there must be death. Before there can be fruitfulness, there needs to be death. That's the spiritual principle I want us to lock on to this morning and to, and to walk away making sure that we understand that. Before there can be fruitfulness in your life, there needs to be death in your life. What does that mean? What? Death of what? Death of our carnal self. You see, Jesus said that what we need to do is, is that we need to crucify our flesh, pick up our cross, and follow after him. We are spiritual beings. We've been born again. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that is alive inside of us, and we have Holy Spirit and power to be able to what? Listen to God and then to follow after God. And oh, that it would be that easy. It would be if there was not an oppositional force in our life that was seeking to hinder all of the work of God that is going on in your life that God desires to do, and that is your flesh, your own carnal self. And unless that carnal self dies, then there's not going to be the freedom in your life to be able to produce spiritual fruit. There is the constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. The Bible tells us that the spirit is willing but the flesh is what? It is weak. It is terribly weak. <laughs> terribly weak. And there is the constant battle every single day between the flesh and the, the spirit. The alarm clock goes off in the morning. Your flesh. Oh my goodness. It says, oh, 10 more minutes. <laughs> When I grew up, there was no such thing as a snooze button. <laughs> and these alarms that keep on going all over and over. It, was, it rang, you shut it off, that, that was it. But, but that alarm clock goes off, and, and here's the spirit inside of you. Rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. Come on, let's get up, let's do devotion, let's get some worship music on. Get your worship on, John, let's go, it's a new day. All oh, my spirits live. And my flesh was like, oh my gosh, I didn't sleep good. My back is sore. I'm tired. I'm not ready to get up. Let me just, I just 10 more minutes. Just 10 more minutes. And, and there's the battle there between the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit's like, come on, it's a great day. God made this day. Let's go. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And my flesh is just not having it. <laughs> 
And, and the battle starts right there. I, I, I wish that I could tell you that, that that's the only time that your flesh and spirit battle, but that battle goes on the entire day, from morning till nighttime, from the, from the minute that you open up your eyes to the last minute that you, you close them. Your spirit's saying, come on, let's get into the Word. Let's, let's, let's pray. Let's do this. Let's do that. But, man, the flesh is unwilling. The flesh, I want you to know, the flesh would rather do anything than something that's spiritual. It will negotiate with you. It will, it, the flesh hates anything that is unspiritual. And, and it kicks and screams, and you have to drop. And finally you say, I just, I need crucify you. <laughs> you just need to shut it up, put it on the cross, nail it on the cross, and, because that's the only way that you're going to be free to walk in the Spirit and to do the things that God is leading you into. Unless that grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, there isn't going to be life that is going to come out. There isn't going to be a multiplication. There isn't going to be the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit that is operating in, in, in your life. The world tells you, the world told me, I bought into it hook, line, and sinker that I would be happy if I would go gratify my flesh. That the gratification of the flesh is what life is all about and, and living and just seeking to, to, to fulfill the, the, the lusts of the flesh. But I want you to know that the fulfillment of the lusts of the flesh just leave you empty. It's just emptiness. Jesus told that woman at the well, if you drink from this well, if you drink of this water, you will what? You will thirst again. There's going to be a momentary excitement and satiation, and then there's going to be that emptiness that's inside. That loneliness. That I'm not on the right path. That I'm not doing the right things. When you're living for self, there is a gnawing emptiness inside of you that you're heading in the wrong direction, even though by sight it might look like you've got everything going on and everybody around you wants to be you. There is that emptiness. A great theologian called it a God-shaped vacuum that's, that's in there. You can't be walking away from God and being fulfilled at the same time. And so we have this spiritual principle that's set before us. God says, die to yourself. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't let your flesh control you. The Spirit of God is going to lead you. You're either being led by your flesh or you're led by the Spirit. And when you're led by the Spirit, what are you doing? It's easy. You're connected to God. You receive God's love. He fills you up. And then you spend the day going around and giving out God's love to others. And then the next day, you go receive God's love and then go around and give it out to others. And there is a joy and a satisfaction and a richness that happens in your life that is beyond the ability to describe it. There's a peace, it says, that passes understanding. 
it, you can't even explain it, that guards your heart and your mind. There is the feeling that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm doing for what I was created for. You were created to take God's love and to give it out to others. That's what you were created for, to first become connected to him because without that you can't receive his, his love. But then you weren't made to just sit there and to receive his love and to just bask in his love. You were made to receive his love and enjoy his love and now go give his love out to others. That's why Jesus said to love your enemies. You see, in my flesh, I can't love my enemies. I cannot possibly do that. But you see, I can give them God's love because God loves them. I don't know why he loves them. <laughs> God asked me to, to give his love even to, even to them. And so we just go around making our deliveries, whoever we come in contact, giving them a little bit of God's love. And then we get up and do it again. And we get up and do it again. And we get up and do it again. It's important to get up and get into the Word of God to worship and to pray every single morning. Important, important, important. Why? Because that's where you're receiving God's love now. And without that, you don't have any of God's love that day to go around and make your deliveries with. So then what that means is you're only going to be able to love people with the love that you have. That's sad. <laughs> We do not have a great capacity to love uh, others. They better look like us. They better be doing what we want them to do. It's so conditional. That, you know, I mean, it is a short, it's a short wick that we've got if it's just going to be our love. And so we have to die to that flesh, go get the love of God, and then go give it to to others and what happens he says and you will be fruitful in your life let's pray father thank you for your word help us god to continue to to understand the battle between the carnal flesh and the spiritual man paul says that, that which i will to do i find myself not doing and and that which i i want to do i find myself not oh wretched man who can help me who can deliver me from this body of destruction. And I thank God for Christ Jesus, who has set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Walk in the light. Lord, help us. Minister to us, bless us, and strengthen us. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.